0: Well, I don't know about you, but when it comes to views, this has quite possibly got to be one of the best views I've ever been able to capture on video. And uh, I think the last time I was up here was probably back in 2009 or 2010. And I was able to record a video titled Receiving the Antichrist some of you that uh, have been watching our videos for many years might well remember that particular video and I've just driven several miles to this location and climbed up a very steep hill to capture what I think is quite possibly one of the best locations in the northwest of England and I'm told on a clear day that in the very far distance and I will zoom in in a moment that you can see Blackpool it's still somewhat misty and it's still rather early but I'll just spend a few more moments if I may on this beautiful backdrop because as you know I like to show the Lord's handiwork off and just spin back to the left because the mist is coming up as is the sun and when it comes to capturing God's handiwork it doesn't get much better than this and just spin to the far right and you would have seen a complete 360 degree shot from this beautiful location which as I say I haven't filmed at since 2009 2010 or thereabouts and what I'm going to be doing over the next little while when it comes to making open-air videos is trying to find different locations to go to simply due to the fact that the open air pulpit has become somewhat busy and nobody can blame folks for wanting to take in the scenery and I guess if it's something good, if people are aware of it then we shouldn't be too surprised if it becomes rather popular and there I am just get myself in camera shot it's never easy when you are trying to film yourself and uh, make sure that you are in camera shot I'm slightly on a better footing for this video when I go up to the open air pulpit many times I'm on slightly rugged terrain and that's why I can sometimes sway left to right, back and forth, I get cramp. So I'm gonna try this location and uh, just make sure that I'm in camera shot. But uh, every blessing to you all and a welcome back to what may be perhaps my new open air pulpit. As I said, I've been going up to the other open air pulpit for five or six years now. And I've done some wonderful videos up there, but as I say, it's getting a bit more busy. And uh, dog walkers are heading up there to stretch their legs and take in the scenery. So what can you do when uh, word gets around that something as beautiful as my open-air pulpit is worth visiting, people are going to visit it. I'll just spin the camera around one more time to capture some mist that's coming in behind me. And uh, then I'll get back to the message for today and as I say when it comes to something as beautiful as this it really is quite remarkable in fact I wouldn't be surprised if I get swallowed up in the mist which you can now see very clearly on the screen but uh, I think one of the other good things about coming up here is it's somewhat more quiet somewhat more Uh, secluded and I can focus more on the message in hand and I'll just get a quick zoom in on that mist and uh, you might be able to hear the horses in the background, I don't know but uh, it was certainly a trek to arrive up here but well worth it absolutely well worth it and uh, maybe I will come back to the mist shortly and uh, share some more of this with you. But it's sometimes a little tricky to film yourself and uh, try and capture some of the Lord's handiwork. But uh, I'm going to take some time this morning, if I may, and uh, speak about the new man. Because I believe that when a Christian gets saved, something wonderful, occurs in such a person's life. I don't teach sinless perfection, but I do teach that a change has to take place. A change will take place the moment a sinner has been redeemed. Please turn to Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians. And I was reading Corinthians a few nights ago in anticipation for recording. Second Corinthians, and I'm... Almost ready, but not quite. In fact, this coming Sunday, Lord willing, I will be recording Acts chapter 14. And that will put me at the halfway mark in Acts of the Apostles, 28 chapters. And uh, it's been a great blessing to record Acts live every Sunday morning and stream it through the internet. So, if you want to join us, please do, this coming Sunday, 11 a.m. UK time. 11 a.m. sharp, and uh, I will be looking at chapter 14. Just get the camera in a better angle. 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, look at verse 17, please. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, when you got born again, Not only did you pass from death unto life, not only did you have all of your past, present, and future sins forgiven, but you received a new nature. Now, 14 years ago, around this time of the year, I wasn't yet saved. I was very near to being saved. I was still singing my orchestra. I was still uh, pursuing vain uh, ambitions and chasing dreams which in hindsight, were probably impossible to reach. But I was a very different person then to what I am today. I would curse before I was saved. I would blaspheme before I was saved. I was full of lust. I was full of uh, anger. I was full of uh, contempt. I was a pretty difficult person to get along with. And sometimes if you watch an old video of yourself shot many years before you got saved, you cringe. I know I do. I was watching a video of myself, maybe filmed 20 years ago. And uh, some of the things I was coming out with was somewhat uh, questionable, shall we say. And in the end, I had to mute the sound. Couldn't hear anymore. Didn't want to hear anymore. So I do believe that the man I was 14 years ago is no more. And yet, saying that, I will say say this, that there's still parts of my old nature which have never died. My food tastes are still the same, and I'll come back to the subject of food shortly. I still appreciate uh, certain uh, music and certain uh, movies from my younger year, and yet, saying that, I've watched... So many movies over the years. Before I got saved, many, many movies. I think one of the blessings, if I can put it that way, of getting saved later in life is that I experienced life. And I think sometimes that's not a bad thing if you come to the Lord later in life, not too late. I think if you come in your 40s or your 50s or your 60s, that's pretty late. You are set in your ways, and it's very difficult for you to really become a great... uh, soul winner, a great student of scripture. But come, nevertheless, never put it off, as long as there's still breath in your lungs, as long as you are still able to uh, appreciate scenery such as this, and comprehend messages such as this, then get saved. But all the films I watched before I was saved, and if I'm going through my television, flicking through the channels, I may come across a movie which I watched 15, 16, 17, 18 years ago, and within a first minute or two, a blasphemy has been uttered, some obscene scene has been portrayed, something was insinuated or what have you. I don't want to watch it. I switch it off. I'm very panickety as to what I watch. And some people say, well, James, you've got a television, get rid of it. Why are you watching television? Well, first of all, to the pure, all things are pure. Secondly, I am very... Uh, picky as to what I watch and thirdly some of you people don't be so pious watch the same stuff you used to watch on your television on the internet now so don't be so quick to pass judgment on the brethren we have liberty in the Lord but the Word of God says the love of the world uh, results in not having the love of the Father the Bible says that friendship with the world is enmity with the Lord and If you're not careful, you will backslide. You will will become somewhat dry, somewhat lukewarm. In fact, if you are on fire for the Lord, you are going to be called a fanatic. And yet, if you are backslidden, lukewarm, you are going to be called a hypocrite. You can't always win, can you? But I take the view, and I will repeat it throughout this message, that when I got saved, a major change occurred. I couldn't blaspheme after I was saved. I couldn't swear after I was saved, and yet I had some real battles over other areas of my flesh when I got saved. But praise the Lord, 14 years on, I feel very blessed, very happy, very content to be where I now am. And I want to give you some tips for 2016 to have a holy, happy, and healthy year. And first of all, you are what you eat. You are what you eat. Never overeat and never undereat. If you're like me and you like coffee and you like to maybe have three sugars in your coffee, try and reduce it to two. Okay, so try and reduce it from three to two. If you like a dessert after your dinner, try and refrain from such a dessert. Maybe have some fruit and not ice cream or something sweet. On top of that, make sure you get enough sleep. I can't stress the importance of getting enough sleep. On top of that, make sure you wake up on time. I remember years ago listening to a brother who was giving us testimony, and he was speaking about how for years he had awful nightmares, which plagued him for years. And he went to doctors, he went to counsellors, he went to pastors. He went to all sorts of people. And nobody could help him. And these were pretty awful nightmares from what he was saying. And one day he went to visit a medical doctor. Not your typical doctor, I think, but just an ordinary GP, general practitioner. And the doctor did a blood test on him. Now, I'm not sure why the other doctors hadn't done it but for some reason this doctor took the time to do a blood test on this man this Bible-believing Christian and it transpired that he had a vitamin deficiency he was very low on vitamin E of all things so the doctor uh, prescribed him some vitamin tablets to boost his immune system up and would you know within I think it was 48, 72 hours or thereabouts He experienced a whole new uh, sense of peace. He was able to sleep through the night. No more bad dreams. You are what you eat. And for this man, apparently, he just needed some vitamin E to increase his immune system, and away he went. Praise the Lord for that. On top of that, you need to exercise. You need to walk daily if you can walk every other day if you can, swim if you can. I remember a sister telling me some years ago how her husband was a bit of a fitness fanatic, and uh, he couldn't walk every day, he was a busy man, he'd be working you know, in the week, five days a week. So what he would do, he would go for a walk every Saturday for three hours. That was his weekly exercise. And he would return to the house, happy, joyful, he felt he'd done something worthwhile, And that was enough for him I try to walk daily if I can and I try to walk 4.7 miles every day and yes that's quite a precise uh, uh, account of my daily routine when I can and I can tell you that it's such a blessing to be able to walk to stretch my legs and pray and talk to the Lord pray for the Lord's people, and prepare messages such as this. On top of that, you need to read the Word of God. And I've started a new routine as of the 1st of January. I started in uh, Genesis, chapter 1. I started in Proverbs, chapter 1. And I started in Matthew, chapter 1. And I was reading this of Genesis, then I went to... Proverbs, and I went to Matthew, I finished Matthew, I'll start start Mark probably tonight, I finished Genesis, I started Leviticus last night, I have finished Proverbs, I went into (coughs) Ecclesiastes, I went into Song of Solomon, and I started Isaiah last night. And again, the more you read, the more you renew your mind, and I'll come back to that in a moment. Take the time to read the Word of God. And as you read through the Old Testament, you will finish the New Testament, probably within a week, if you read as quickly as I do, and then go back to Matthew, start again. And bit by bit, you will work through the Old Testament, and as you work through the Old Testament, you will go back to the beginning of the New Testament, and eventually you will meet somewhere in the middle. You should be able to reach, or you should be able to complete the entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, in maybe four to five months it depends of course how fast you read it depends of course how much time you have I appreciate that some for some people time is an issue but if you can if you can read the word of God uh, a bit each day you will grow into a great student of scripture a great Bible believer and you can bless so many people so Genesis chapter 1 Matthew chapter 1 Proverbs, which is middle of the Old Testament or thereabouts, I think Psalms is actually the middle, but Proverbs is pretty near after, uh, or just after Psalms, and work your way through. And I promise you that will give you a healthy, happy, and holy New Year. The latter being the most important. And of course, we know that bodily exercise profits uh, profits little. It's the Bible, ultimately, that we are interested in. But uh, my text does tell me that if any man or woman in Christ what a great thought he or she is a new creature you have a new nature and what you used to hate you now love and what you used to love you now hate all things are passed away yes and no positionally that's the case positionally you are sinless positionally you are in heaven positionally the Lord when he looks at you sees his son that's true and when you looked at his son on the cross my god my god why has thou forsaken me he saw you so a change has occurred behold all things are become new the slate has been wiped clean and some people say well i don't want somebody to die for my sins i want to pay my, my own debt i remember speaking to a muslim about a year ago or maybe two now i think it was in manchester and he said to me, I want to take my own chances at the judgment. I don't want to have somebody uh, do something for me. A very self-righteous character. But the truth of the matter is, is that everybody is quite happy to have a substitute. For example, let's say you got a speeding ticket or a parking ticket. And the council said you've got 28 days to pay your parking ticket. They don't care who pays it. It could be your neighbour. It could be your husband, it could be your wife, it could be a mother, it could be your father, it could be anyone. The town hall doesn't care who pays it, as long as somebody pays it. As far as they are concerned, justice has been served. So, don't be so self-righteous when it comes to substitutionary atonement. And yet, listen, if you don't trust Christ to save you, what's your alternative? Yourself? You want to stand in the presence of a holy triune God? with all the holy angels standing all around him all of the redeemed from creation to the end of the millennium and tell him what a great person you are I mean seriously do you wanna take that option and have all your sins played out in front of you imagine watching a DVD in HD from the beginning of your time of being accountable to the Lord to the moment you took your last breath just imagine it for a moment a shock of it and people say well I'll take my chances at the judgments. I'm not a very bad person yes you are, you are wicked and you are wicked on at least two points, first of all you are wicked because you've broken all of the Lord's commandments the word of God says there's not a just man on earth that doeth good and sinneth not, all of sin to come short of the glory of God on top of that you are questioning the Lord's goodness You are standing in his presence and saying that you are just as good as his beloved son. That's dangerous stuff. Please turn to Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. Look at verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. For our conversation, for our community, for our abode is in heaven, present tense. You're already reigning in heaven, in a spiritual sense, if you're born again John five twenty four, Ephesians two ten. For our conversation, for our abode is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Saviour the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for the Saviour. I'm trusting in Him to save me and He will come back for me when He's good and ready. And this, I think, is a good scripture for the rapture, the pre-tribulation rapture, and people continue to question it, or some people, I should qualify that, some people continue to question the rapture, which is fine. You were told to study, to show yourself approved unto God you were told to test all things so there's nothing wrong with testing or examining a scripture or trying to better understand the Word of God and people say well the rapture was made up by John Nelson Darby uh, this lady called uh, MacDonald, a young girl, somehow bewitched him and uh, he was able to be seduced by this young lady, absolute foolishness If you read what she allegedly told Darby, on the one hand, she's holding to a mid-trib rapture, and then on the other hand, she's holding to a post-trib rapture. Darby was a scholar. Not that that proves anything, it doesn't. Some of the best scholars in the world are in hell today. In fact, some of the best scholars in Britain today are unsaved liberals. But as far as I am concerned, Darby and Co rediscovered something which had long been lost. And I gave you the accounts from one of my earlier videos on the rapture from last year concerning a church leader called Ephraim from the 7th century who wrote that the Lord Jesus Christ will come back for his church before the Antichrist arrives on the earth. Okay, so take the time to study church history. It's not always bad, but... At the end of the day, this is the final authority. Not what the great said or wrote about the word of God. Who shall change, 21, our vile body. There's a picture of filthiness. What our righteousness is as filthiness. Man in his best state is altogether vanity. That it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. According to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things, unto himself. When you got born again, not only did you pass from death unto life, not only did you have all of your past, present, and future sins washed away by the precious blood of the Lamb, but when you die, you will get a new body, because this body will eventually die. You need a new body to stand in the presence of the Lord at the judgment seats of Christ, and then to go into the millennium to rule and reign for 1,000 years. So you are already in heaven, 20. On top of that, you are waiting for the Saviour to come back, rapture, who's going to change your filthy body and fashion it like unto his glorious body. You are going to be... Predestinated to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's what happens a moment you believe. In fact, just last Sunday I finished, according to Acts 13, and I dealt with the scripture where it says, "And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed." And that gets cited by our Calvinist brethren to suggest that somehow, before the foundation of the world, you were chosen by the Lord to be saved. It sounds wonderful, doesn't it? What a great special man I I am. What a wonderful man I am. What a great person I am. The Lord must have seen something good in me. I was chosen before the foundation of the world. Well, not necessarily. Not the case at all. Go to Romans chapter 16, a slight detour. But you know me, I'll come back to the main topic of this message. Uh, Romans 16, please. Look at verse 7. Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles, who were in Christ before me. They got saved before Paul. They appropriated the atonement before Paul. Nobody was in Christ per se before the foundation of the world because nobody existed before the foundation of the world. And Andronicus and Junia are of note among the apostles. I've heard liberals quote this to suggest that this couple, and at least one of them is a woman for memory, were somehow apostles, female apostles. No, it says they were of note among the apostles. They were known by the apostles. They weren't female apostles. That's foolishness. But more importantly, they were in Christ before me. So you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in time, you trust in his death, burial, and resurrection, and then you are ordained to receive everlasting life. Then you are going to be predestinated to be conformed to the image of his Son. Okay, so election deals with service, whereas predestination deals with sanctification. And if you want to know more about that, listen to my study from Acts chapter 13 as you're in Romans go to chapter 12 please Romans chapter 12 and I teach this very simply for those that don't know that a sinner comes to the Lord on the Lord's terms broken, convicted of his or her sin and he turns to the Lord and believes on him you've got the thief on the cross back in Luke 23 and he says Lord remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom and the Lord saves that thief on the cross there's no baptism There's no works, there's no get off the cross and go back to those that you wronged. He trusts on the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord saves him. And people say, well, that is a gospel account, that's uh, technically under the Old Testament. Well, yes, it is, but the Lord's on the cross. He is in between two covenants, and yet the thief believes and is saved. How about Acts 16, when the Philippian jailer is about to kill himself, And Paul says to the Philippian jailer, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. If you believe on the Lord, if you trust in his death, burial, and resurrection, you are saved. And yet, I will say this as a quick footnote, and I'll get back to Romans 12 in a moment, that there is a concern when it comes to easy believism. The last time I dealt with this in my last video, New Year's Day, Faith and Repentance Simplified, what is a concern to those of us which are born again, to those of us which have a teaching ministry, for those of us which go onto the street, is this notion that if you just say a quick prayer or ask Jesus into your hearts without really understanding why you need Him in the first place, that technically, fo- technically falls under the subject of easy believism. I do teach, just for the record, that there has to be a level of conviction. You have to see yourself as a sinner your vile body, his glorious body, Philippians 3, if you don't see yourself as a sinner, if you don't see yourself as totally incapable of saving yourself, if you don't see the Saviour as a glorious Redeemer, I don't think you can be saved. So there is some validation to those that speak out against easy believism, and I'll just qualify that one more time when it comes to those that ask Jesus into their heart maybe to experience a better life, to become prosperous, or say a quick prayer, and they trust in their prayer to save them. That is problematic, and that is something which should be spoken about. But to label what I believe and others uh, as easy-believers them when it comes to believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, sincerely turning to the Lord and trusting in his death, burial, and resurrection as somehow erroneous, I think is bordering heresy. The thief on the cross, one more time, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and was saved. No works involved, no church membership involved. Acts 8, the Ethiopian eunuch believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, got baptised and went on his way rejoicing. Acts 16, again the Philippian jailer (coughs) believes on the Lord, gets baptised later and is a new creature. He's passed from death unto life. So I know that sometimes that can become a little clouded when it comes to easy believism, But if you keep what I've said in mind, you will be cautious about leading a sinner on the street in a prayer to be saved. In fact, I'll tell you a very quick story, and I'll get back to Romans 12, I promise. About eight years ago, we were doing some street work, and Patrick was speaking to a young lady who was working at a phone shop, and he spent five or six minutes speaking to her and he said to her, uh, would you like to be saved? And he explained the gospel to her as well as he could. And she said, yes, she wanted to be saved. And he explained the basic premise to her about being saved, so, and so forth. And he said to her, would you like to you know, say a quick prayer or something? Now, the latter wasn't necessary for one's salvation, but I think he was trying to clinch the deal, if you will. He was trying to get this person introduced into the habits of praying. So I understand the purpose of why that took place. But he prayed with her. And she went back into her shop and didn't come out again. And a few days went by and he went in to inquire of her. She wouldn't come out to speak to him. And maybe a week or two went by and he walked past the shop. He'd be looking in to see her and he, he couldn't see her. And He'd be speaking to her colleagues. Is she in there? Yes, but she's very busy. She won't come out. Now, I personally think she was a false convert. I think she spoke to Patrick. I think she... Uh, Thought that a quick prayer would somehow introduce her to the Savior. Perhaps did all that he could to explain the gospel to her, but I think she made the mistake of uh, turning her back on the Lord. I think she didn't really count the cost, and that's why it's sometimes worthwhile to explain the cost of following the Lamb. You get saved by believing you get saved by receiving the Lord Jesus Christ, but to follow him is very difficult. I mean, to sincerely be a fruit-bearing disciple is really hard. You have to divorce yourself from the world. You have to deny yourself. You have to pick up your cross each and every day. And you may even have to die in a physical sense for your Lord. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ made it very clear that it's going to be hard to be a disciple. And Paul told you that he could do all things through Christ which strengtheneth which strengthened him. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I can achieve all things. My God is able to supply all my need according to Christ Jesus. And that is true. But again, you have to mean business for the Lord. So I just wrap that other count up with Patrick and I'll move on, because I just want to make this point one last time that I think if you pray with somebody to uh, understand the gospel, it can be problematic. And I've done it myself some years ago. I spoke to a man in Manchester who came up to me in the street, and he said to me, will you pray with me? And I said, yes, okay. And uh, I prayed with him, along I with Patrick, and another brother at the time. And he was a very mixed up man. And I tried to help him, as Patrick did, with this woman. And I explained the gospel to him, as Patrick did, with this woman. But I don't know if he really understands the gospel. I think my work finished at the the, the point of articulating the plan of salvation. And I've witnessed to so many people over the years in the streets. I spoke to a street cleaner uh, about 18 months ago. You may remember the photographs we posted. And I witnessed to him, as Patrick did with that woman eight years ago, I prayed with him at the end to get closer to the Lord. I told him that a prayer wouldn't save him as Patrick did with a woman eight years ago and I tried to help him as best as I could. I gave him a Bible, I gave him some DVDs and about six months later I was back in Manchester doing some outreach and he walked straight past me like I wasn't even there. Was he saved? I don't know. I really don't know and neither do you for that matter. It's very difficult to judge whether a person is saved or not. Yes, we can think somebody's saved, but if you're gonna start comparing yourself to others, that's foolishness. I like to give people the benefit of the doubts and say that he probably was saved, but for reasons that only he knows, he wanted to avoid me, which is fair enough. And I think Patrick probably thought the same about that girl he spoke to eight years ago. That She may well have got saved, but for reasons only known to herself, she wanted to avoid him. Maybe she felt, uh, she felt convicted when she saw him. And that man I prayed with on the streets in Manchester some years ago to get closer to the Lord, to get some closure, to get help. Maybe he too uh, was saved, but for reasons only known uh, to himself, he too became somewhat distant. So I will say this before moving on, that I think the best thing that we can do, for those of us which are born again, is to simply present Jesus Christ to the sinner show the scripture to the sinner, how that Christ died for our sins, how he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisements of God was upon him, it pleased the Lord to bruise him all we like sheep have gone astray if we come unto him, he is able to save us to the uttermost uh, as he ever lives, to make intercession for us there's no other name given under heaven among men, whereby we must be saved I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's one mediator between man and God, the man, Christ Jesus. We articulate the gospel as well as we can. And I've been doing this for 14 years now. <coughs> and Patrick for maybe, I think, 16 years. Uh, 17 years or thereabouts. And it's very difficult because we want to get people saved. We want to encourage people. And we will pray with people to help them on their way. But I am worried I think when it comes to praying with a sinner on the street to get saved. I think the uh, habit of doing that is very westernized. I don't think it's done so much in Europe or elsewhere, but in the West it's a big thing. I think it's problematic. I will pray with a person who's just got saved or is wanting some help to get closer to the Lord. We can intercede for such a person, but to lead a person in the so-called sinner's prayer I don't care for it, I think it's dangerous. I think also that falls back under the area of easy believerism. But teach a sinner that if he turns to the Lord, which is what repentance is in faith, if he reaches out to the Lord, as a beggar would do, if he receives the Lord's forgiveness of sins, he will be saved. He will pass from death unto life. I have no problem teaching that whatsoever. Romans chapter 12, i got there eventually, verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. You need to put your body to death. Peter says, uh, Be ye holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. Two, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God you need to renew your mind go back to what I said Genesis chapter 1 Matthew chapter 1 Proverbs chapter 1 read the Word of God each and every day exercise each and every day go to sleep on time each and every day rise up in the morning at the same time, each and every day. And you will witness a transformation in your life that you couldn't possibly have imagined. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that ye, all of you, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Put it to death. You like three sugars in your coffee? Go down to two. Go down to one. You like a dessert after your meal? Lose it. You like to pamper yourself? Quit it. You like to put your feet up and watch a movie every night? Quit it. Read the scriptures. Now, some people say, well, this sounds legalistic to me. No, it's not. This is basic Bible teaching. You are saved unto good works. Ephesians chapter 2. You are a holy, chosen sanctified vessel. You weren't redeemed to sit around watching sports. Okay? You weren't redeemed to go to the movies every night. You weren't redeemed to feed the flesh and do your own thing. You're not the captain of your own ship. But if you say, well, I'm going to do what I want to do, okay, fine, then the Lord will chastise you. First Corinthians chapter 11. you become sick and weak. And the Lord may plague you with other issues to, to get you back into fellowship with Him. He loves you so very much, He wants you to, to be the best you can for Him. If you, have a, if you have a child, if you are parents, you love your children. You want the best for your children. It breaks your heart if your children go off the rails. It breaks your heart if your children aren't studying for their exams, if they're not putting their weight, if they're just bumming around, as the world says. It breaks your heart. The same is true of our great Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and it says one more time to present your bodies unto the Lord which is your reasonable service it's the least you can do and be not conformed to this world separation a very hard thing to achieve I know but be transformed by the renewing of your mind clear out the clutter from your mind before I was saved I could watch any type of movie that you could imagine, and I thought nothing of it whatsoever. I became very passive after many years of watching movies, listening to music, being a very worldly person. Now I'm very fussy as to what I watch. There are certain things I won't watch anymore. I've almost lost all interest in music, believe it or not. Before I was saved, music was my mistress, as somebody once said, and that was something which I felt was applicable to me. Now, I rarely if ever listen to music. And if I listen to music, it's normally hymns. But I'm more of a Bible man. I like to read the Bible, I like to study the Bible. We have a Sunday morning service, and you can listen live if you want to, through the internet. And we read the Bible, and some people might wonder why we have no hymns. Well, first of all, it's broadcast from my home. I don't think my neighbors would be very happy if we all started singing during the Sunday morning service. But we want to spend what time we have in the Bible. We want to spend what time we have praying for people, breaking the bread. You know, you can sing a hymn whenever you want to, but to study the Word of God in the time that you have, we think is more important. In fact, I gave that scripture from First uh, John chapter two: "Love not the world." Neither things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can appreciate the world, okay? I appreciate standing up here, and I do appreciate certain parts of this world. As I say, to the pure, all things are pure. But I don't love the world. The word "love" is a guppy, the strongest word for cherishing someone or something. 16 For all of that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it is not of the Father, but it is of the world. So be very careful if you are born again, if you've passed from death unto life, and yet you are playing with your grace, you are abusing your grace your salvation has been fixed and you know what I believe, once saved always saved or if saved always saved, I don't want to negate that, that is a biblical fact, but you are saved unto good works you are a chosen vessel, you belong to the Lord you were purchased with a price and that price is the blood of the lamb the precious blood of the lamb go to John chapter 3 Now the wind is picking up, and it's very cold as well. It's uh, about 2 degrees Celsius. I think it's going to get colder as we go through January. But you know me, if I start a message, I will finish it. And please don't misunderstand me. The reason for making these types of videos isn't to bash anybody over the head. It's simply to encourage you. Uh, We have to love the brethren. The Bible says if we don't love the brethren the love of the Father is not in us. And on top of that, if we don't love the brethren, then the insinuation is, is that we hate the brethren. And if we hate the brethren, according to 1 John uh, 1 John chapter 3, we are a murderer. And a murderer doesn't have eternal life abiding in them. So sometimes it is the job of the preacher to get under the skin of other Christians, not to be pious, not to be self-righteous, not to be arrogant. We all stumble we all fall short of the glory of God and I'm the first to say yes count me in as well but for those of us which have got victory over sin not all sin of course but parts of sin in our life we are to encourage others that it's possible to also overcome sin. Remember that scripture I just gave you? I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me but you need to apply it. You need to put your flesh to death You need to read the Word of God. You need to separate yourself from the world. But all of this is impossible until you are born again. John 3, verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. We know that you are man come from God we know you are a teacher that has come from God we know that you are prophet that has come from God we the Jews, we the Sanhedrin we that are a part of academia and he was probably referring to Joseph of Arimathea as well we know that you've come from God they knew who he was and yet they wouldn't believe on him because he wasn't one of their own He wasn't schooled at Jerusalem High. He didn't have a PhD or a BA or a THD. He was a travelling rabbi, ordained by his cousin out in the desert. He completely shunned organised religion. And his brethren betrayed him. First of all, his disciples, picturing Jesus Christ as the son of Joseph, but on top of that, the Sanhedrin, They betrayed him to the Gentiles, the Romans. Joseph's brothers betrayed him to the Gentiles, Ishmaelites. What does Solomon say? There's nothing new under the sun. They hated him without a cause. And listen to me, if you're born again, if you are on fire for the Lord, they'll hate you without a cause as well. If you are on fire for the Lord, you'll be called a fanatic. No doubt about it. But if you are a backslidden, lukewarm Christian, they're going to call you a hypocrite. You can't win. And he goes on to say verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verily, verily, listen to me, attention, let these sayings sink down into your ears, when it's when that term is found in Scripture, verily, verily, it's a double uh, sense of urgency. Listen to me. The Lord is pleading with him. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man or woman be born again, born from above, regenerated, he cannot see the kingdom of God. To enter into the presence of the Lord, to receive an imputed, uh, an imputed righteousness, you must be born again. You need to come to the foot of the cross to be born again. You can't save yourself. And i keep saying that in this message, which I'm going to call the new man. You cannot save yourself. And yet people have the audacity, the stupidity, to think they can stand in the presence of an all-holy God and brag about their goodness. Such imbeciles. For Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? This man is a ruler of the Jews. As I say, he's from the world of academia. And yet he has no idea what the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking about. Much like religious people today. I was sent a video last week of the Pope. And... uh, He's talking about this one world religion, which the Bible spoke about thousands of years ago. And he wants this one world religion to come together, and it will do before the Lord comes back and destroys it. And he wants the Jews to be part of it, and they already are. And he says the Jews can be saved without Christ, which is heresy. And there's a female Buddhist in this video, and he says she can be saved without Christ, which is heresy. And there's a Muslim man, in this video, a Jewish man in this video, maybe some other people which i perhaps missed in the video, and he says they can all be saved without faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's heresy. He doesn't understand what's going on. He's what you call a biblical illiterate. And here, Nicodemus should have known better, but to be fair to him, this is a New Testament doctrine to be born again. You see, the Old Testament greats uh, were saved by receiving an imputed righteousness, they got saved by believing on a promise along with their descendants, whereas we in the New Covenant get saved by believing on a person. Nobody was born again until probably Acts chapter 1. But uh, I won't go through all that again. And it goes on to say, from verse 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water, And of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, we know that water, in the New Testament, when it's in reference to the new birth, is spiritual water, figurative language. We know that water cannot save you. If it would save you, if it could save you, go back to Luke 23, the thief on the cross. No water there to save him. The Philippian jailer, Acts 16, no water there to save him. When I got saved 14 years ago, I wasn't baptised until, I think, two years later. So don't tell me that water saved you. No, I got saved by believing. I got saved by receiving the Lord's forgiveness. I got saved by trusting in him. No water there whatsoever. On top of that, this water, from verse 5, does also imply the first birth, your physical birth. And I get that from verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So your first birth, your physical birth, clearly would entail water, that brings you into the world, but that's not enough. Your parents might be saved, your husband or your wife might be saved, your children might be saved, but unless you are saved yourself, unless you personally appropriate the atonement, you're lost. So I take these verses to teach on the one hand that water is figurative it has to be but even if you were to take it literally the best you could get from it would be the first birth your physical birth which is no good on top of that nicodemus like most of christendom today was totally ignorant that's what the lord jesus christ was speaking about he was a completely oblivious to the deeper meaning of scripture that's why the that's why the lord chose ordinary men to represent him you notice that he didn't choose scholars, he didn't choose uh, kings or princes. And yes, we are a royal priesthood for today. We're going to be kings and priests unto the Lord in the millennium. Now we are spiritual priests, now we are spiritual kings, but one day we're going to be physical priests and physical kings, ruling and reigning with him for a thousand years. He didn't choose anybody from that background to represent him. He chose, for the most part, lower, middle class, Self-employed fishermen, no scholars, and that should speak volumes to you. So when you see people on television or listen to people on the radio who call themselves doctor or professor, and they've got letters after their name, and I've got a letter after my name, by the way, I'm a B.A. I'm born again. <laughs> but seriously, when you come when you come across, excuse me, my voice is almost about to go. <coughs> This is the downside of making an open-air video it can get very dry very quickly but bear with me i've almost finished when you come across those who like to use letters after their name like to say call me this or call me that you're dealing with the uh, religious or uh, the organized religious crowd those who organized religion and they were told uh, back in matthew 23 not to be called rabbi and not to be called father in fact i remember some years i listened to a radio debate a Catholic and a Protestant and a caller uh, phoned up this radio station and he wanted to put a question to the priest who happened to be a Jesuit incidentally? which means the, he's a society of Jesus. That's the highest level of priest in the Catholic Church and the caller wouldn't address the priest as father, which is quite right. Again, call no man on earth Father. Matthew 23, in reference to a spiritual term, not a physical term, of course. You've got the rich man in hell, he says, Father Abraham. Okay. Of course, he's a Jew, so technically he's entitled to refer to Abraham as Father Abraham, but as far as a Gentile is concerned, for the church age, we don't call anybody Father. And this caller uh, didn't want to address the priest as Father, and the Catholic priest wouldn't even take the question until he called him father can you believe it and this went back and forth for about five minutes and the caller said well listen I'm an ex-Catholic I don't want to call anybody father who's not my physical father and spiritual titles are prohibited again Matthew 23 and call a man rabbi either I'm sorry but if you're in the messianic movement and you have people who you call rabbi you are violating Matthew 23 And this went back and forth for some time, and I think eventually the caller put the phone down. Because the Jesuit priest wouldn't take the question until he was addressed as father. Who are these people? I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. But you see, this is academia. This is organised religion. And this is what Nicodemus failed to grasp. He failed to understand the simplicity of the Lord's message. The Pope has completely failed to understand the simplicity of the Lord's message. The Archbishop of Canterbury has totally failed to understand the simplicity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Such people are not the Lord's people. Such folks don't speak for the Lord. I'm a Bible-believing Christian, I speak for him. And if you're born again, you speak for him. But those that wear dresses, those that wear skirts, those that dress up like a pantomime, Don't speak for the Lord. Please go to 1st Peter. 1st Peter. And uh, I might show you where I'm currently standing before I sign out to give you an idea of the terrain. It's somewhat similar, actually, to the open air pulpit. In fact, what I might do is treat myself to a mini platform, a mini uh, pair of steps, so I can get somewhat more comfortable. But I might show you the sort of ground that I'm standing on before I sign it to give you some idea as to what it's like making outdoor videos such as this. 1 Peter, chapter 1. Look at verse 22, please. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Being born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth you believe in the Lord you have appropriated the the atonement you trusted in his atonement to the Spirit, Holy Ghost and to unfeigned love of the brethren that's why I make these videos because I love the brethren and I want to encourage you all to do greater things for the Lord. See that you love one another with a pure heart. Impossible before the new birth. Fervently, continually, being born again. John chapter three, second uh, Corinthians chapter five. You are a new creature. Being born again, not of corruptible seed. Out goes your first birth. Out goes being baptized by water goes speaking in tongues as evidence of salvation the Ethiopian eunuch didn't speak in tongues when he got baptized in Acts 8 Paul the Apostle didn't speak in tongues when he got baptized Acts 16 when I got saved when I was born again I wasn't uh, speaking in tongues being born again being regenerated receiving Christ's imputed righteousness, having all your past, present, and future sins forgiven, being born again, not of corruptible seed. First birth, no good. Your parents' uh, church membership, no good. But of incorruptible, by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And here the Word of God is lowercase w, which will be in reference to the Word of God, the written Word of God the written word of God lives and abides forever this book is alive I can testify to that so one last time being born again which is a gift you can't receive it of your own you can't work for yourself I should say it's a gift it's God's righteousness at Christ's expense being born again not of corruptible seed nothing you can do to save yourself but of incorruptible it's a gift from heaven by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever so put all these verses together what do you get? you get a great blessing you get almighty God wanting <coughs> to have fellowship with his creation you have almighty God come into earth in a person of Jesus Christ living and dying amongst sinners some redeemed some not redeemed And he says, if you trust in my son, if you believe what he did for you, if you receive it sincerely, if you see yourself as a sinner, if you humble yourself, if you repent, good old English word, repent. And I teach people to repent. If you repent, if you change your mind, okay, if you line up with the word of God, if you repent, if you turn to him, Jesus Christ, he will save you to the uttermost. Okay, he will give you a new nature. All things are past, away, behold, all things are new. If any man be in Christ, he is, present tense, a new creature. You'll have a new nature, which is going to clash with the old nature. Romans chapter 7. That which I want to do, I don't do, and that which I don't do, I end up doing. Okay, so don't ever get caught up in this sinless perfection trap, which I wanted to mark out at the beginning of this message because it's a very dangerous and it can also uh, puff up you to think you're something special it can give you a puffed up sense of importance it's a dangerous heresy and it's a dangerous doctrine but you are expected and equipped more importantly to live holy for the Lord there's no excuse for you my friends and I'm going to be quite honest with you now there's no excuse for you to be lazy to be lukewarm to be backslidden there's no excuse for you if you are lazy if you are backslidden that's something you have chosen to do yourself I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me I can move mountains I can do this, I can do that but you've got to yield yourself to a mighty God so you get saved by being born again which is a free gift you receive it as an unworthy sinner You get a new nature, which allows you to do great things for the Lord. It allows you to achieve great heights and uh, blessings. You're going to bless others because you're now born again. And yet the old man is going to be there wanting to pull you back. That's why you've got to discipline yourself. You've got to put your flesh to death. You've got to say, no, I won't do this thing, I won't do that thing. You still have liberty in the Lord, of course, to the pure, all things are pure. But again, remember what I said, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Friendship with the, uh, excuse me, friendship with the world is enmity with God. So if you can rub along with the world, if you're friends with the world, technically you are an enemy of God. And maybe you've fallen from grace, Galatians chapter 5. But if you confess that to the Lord, if you come back to the Lord, and tell him that you have failed, that you have been uh, embracing sin too much, confessed your sin to him, First John, and he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you of all of your unrighteousness. But before you do any of that, you've got to be born again. You must be born again. So I think I've said all I wanted to say, and the sun has come out very... Uh, beautifully to my right hand side. In fact, I'll just spin the camera around one final time and uh, show you what I'm currently experiencing. I've got a bit of cramp now in my left leg and I'll show you in a minute what the surface is like, where I'm currently standing at and uh, hopefully you'll get a better understanding as to what it's like Making videos such as this, but you know I me, mean. I don't like to complain. I'm always happy to give the Lord all the glory and credits. But as I start to wrap up now and uh, head off, I'll just give you one final spin around and give you an idea as to what the terrain is like and wish you all the very best and every blessing for 2016. We are to encourage one another so don't get upset you think I've been somewhat hard on anybody no that's not my purpose I'm not here to attack anybody I'm not here to pull anybody down I want to get people saved who are not saved I want to help those that are saved to live for the Lord and to go on for the Lord and I want to help people to really understand the Word of God and uh, this is what I've been standing on to give you some idea And uh, it's pretty uncomfortable, so I'm going to treat myself, I think, to a uh, pair of steps and uh, allow me to have a better footing when I'm standing. But I think you can hopefully appreciate the surroundings from this location and I might come back here again. Just one final thought on this subject of the new man before I pack up and go home would be that, yes, we are saved by grace. Yes, we are kept saved by grace and don't let anybody ever come along and tell you otherwise. And uh, yes, we are saved unto good works, but I think what we need to remember is that we have the potential to achieve pretty much anything for the Lord. And I'm not speaking about be, you know, becoming prosperous or becoming wealthy or name it or claim it, which is what <coughs> the charismatics hold to. I don't believe in that at all. In fact, when I read the Word of God, I see the apostles pretty much dying in poverty. And uh, I see the Lord Jesus Christ having nowhere to lay his head. But I see Paul the Apostle almost, almost reaching perfection, but not quite. I find Josiah back in the Old Testament, almost reaching perfection, but not quite. And uh, yes, they had their old natures. John the Baptist had his old nature. And you might think to yourself, John the Baptist had an old nature. Yep, Matthew chapter 11, he has been detained. And he says, uh, are you the one that we should be looking for? Or is there another? In reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he thought that the Lord would come, overthrow the Romans, establish his davidic kingdom and then rule and reign with a rod of iron for 1000 years that would happen of course but the church age had to occur because the children of israel would reject the lord jesus christ which would allow the gentiles to become part of the body of christ and that piece of scripture from matthew 11 goes on and the lord said blessed are those that are not offended by me you see john the baptist was offended He was offended in the fact that the Lord was being treated with contempt, was being ridiculed, was being rejected. And that went on for quite a while. So John had an old nature, and part of that old nature, as I say, entailed his inability to fully grasp the Lord's ministry, to fully believe on what the Lord had told him. He had to come and suffer, son of Joseph, first advent, whereas son David, second advent he's going to rule and reign for 1,000 years Peter as you know, would fall and stumble many times and not only did he want to kill a man for detaining the Lord he almost took his head off in fact he cut his ear off and the Lord got that man's ear and put it back on his head that's a great miracle, and no faith involved also, I might add in regards to that man who had his ear cut off. That's Peter's old nature. And it goes and say that Peter would be cursing and swearing. I don't know that man, get away from me. You know, who do you think you are? I'm just passing through. Old nature. So we have an old nature, I have an old nature, you have an old nature, but we also have a new nature. And the new nature is that seed from 1 John chapter 5 which cannot sin. The new nature, the new seed in the believer cannot sin. And if you yield to the Holy Ghost, if you seriously put your flesh to death, you can achieve great things for the Lord. You can become a great soul winner. You can become a great blessing to the brethren. You can have a great relationship with the Lord. But if you don't, Yield to the Lord. If you continue to feed the flesh, if you continue to do what you want to do, not what he wants to do, then he's going to chastise you. He's going to whip you. The Jews were whipped back in the Old Testament for breaking the law. In fact, Paul was whipped on more than one occasion with physical lashes. And that's why it gets. The interpretation from Luke 12 in reference to being physically whipped by the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ. I don't really understand how that's going to work, but I can see that it could happen that way. I think as I say that if you live after the flesh, you are going to be chastised by the Lord, 1 Corinthians 11. You might commit the sin unto death, uh, 1 John chapter 5. And also James 5 speaks about that. The Lord may make an example of you like he did to Ananias and Sapphira. Acts chapter 5. He'll chastise you in a spiritual sense because he wants you to bring forth fruit. John chapter 15. He wants fruit. He wants holiness from you. And he will do whatever it takes to get holiness from his children. He will discipline you as a parent disciplines his or her child. So you need to keep these thoughts in mind because if you are a saved man or woman and you are being buffeted or you are struggling, your prayers are not being answered, you're not rejoicing in the finished work of the Lord, you don't cherish the Word of God like you once did, there's probably sin in your life. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all your unrighteousness. It's in reference to fellowship, of course. You were told in 1 Corinthians 11 to confess your sins to the Lord. You were told to examine yourself. This is the daily duty of all Bible-believing Christians, to examine ourselves. Don't make provision for the flesh if you are easily tempted, if you are easily distracted. If you have the potential to succumb to temptation, get away and run from it. Joseph, back in the Old Testament, was tempted by Pharaoh's wife, and it says he ran from her. He ran from the temptation. And the Lord blessed him for that. You are totally able to do anything for the Lord in reference to your everyday living and fellowshipping with the Lord if you yield to him if you put your flesh to death if you read the Word of God Genesis 1 Proverbs 1 Matthew 1 Ecclesiastes Exodus Mark Leviticus, Song of Solomon Isaiah Mark Luke keep reading the Word of God Keep renewing your mind. Keep praying, and if you struggle to pray like I do, pray until you pray. Get down on your knees in the morning for, say, 15 minutes if you can, and I struggle with that. I'm the first to admit that. I do struggle to do that. But if you can do it, you will feel a great sense of happiness and peace and joy from the Lord. And do the same in the evening. And if you can't read the Word of God, as often as some people do, read as much as you can when you can. If you drive to work, get an MP3 player. Listen to the Lord as you drive. Or if you get if you get a train to work, get you know your Bible out and read it on a train. Or get your tablet out, so your iPad and read it on a train. Or if you can't do that, but you get a lunch hour, make some time during your lunch hour to read the Word of God. Where well, there's a will, there's a way. But again, it takes... time, it takes the initiative, it takes the motive to implement something as simple as that and I think the Lord's going to hold us all accountable for what we didn't do not just what we did do and shouldn't have done of course but what we didn't do and should have done I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me but it's going to cost you something to put the flesh to death and I'll tell you one more time before I finally sign out it's going to cost you something you will lose friends Okay, people are going to turn from you, people are going to slander you and you will have to walk a lonely life you will be completely divorced from the world your friends will leave you they will speak against you and it's going to be very difficult for you I'm not going to pretend otherwise for those that truly live for the Lord, for those that have given up a lot for him, for those that are putting in the flesh to death, for those that are standing against sin, it's going to cost you an awful lot. And that's why most Christians don't want to do it. Most Christians weigh up the pros and cons, and they say, it's too much, I just can't do it. And they fall away. Some are going to bring forth fruit, a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. Matthew chapter 13 but the reality is that every, saved man or woman, anywhere in the world, has the potential, if they yield to the Holy Ghost, to bring forth 100% fruit. But based on what I know of Christians, based on what I know about myself, and what I know about you, we are all complex people. We all fall short. <coughs> we all miss the mark, and we continue to miss the mark. But But, when we mean business for the Lord, when we embrace him, when we turn to him, he turns to us, he embraces us, and he continues to equip us. The early church prayed for boldness, and they got great grace, great boldness to do great things for the Lord. They were totally on fire for the Lord, they were totally separated from the world. But whether you want to be totally separated from the world, whether you are prepared to pay the price, is up to you. But I'll say this one last time, if you live after the flesh, you risk being chastised spiritually for here and now, physically, yes, at the judgment seats of the Lord. And on top of that, you risk losing your crowns and place in the millennial kingdom. Because your role, your uh, opportunity to enter the Millennial Kingdom is not a right, it's a privilege. And it can be earned and it can be lost. But thankfully your salvation cannot be earned or lost. So you are saved under good works, you are expected to do something mighty for the Lord. But uh, I don't know how many people want to seriously go on for the Lord. I mean seriously turn their backs on the world. I know most Christians are doing the least minimal. And that's the truth of the matter. And we fail him every day, but the Word of God says, uh, if we deny him, he cannot deny us. Uh, We may be faithless, but he remains faithful. So even when we are at our worst possible state, the Word of God says, Christ died for us. When we are enemies in our minds to wicked works, he died for us. He loves us with an everlasting love, His love is unconditional. Whereas many times, our love is conditional. Let's be honest. Our love is conditional. We all stumble. We all fall short. But we are new creatures. New creatures. We are new people. And we have the ability to do great things for the Lord. But it's going to cost you something. So I just give these thoughts to you uh, because I think it's worth doing so. I don't want you to think that I'm being somewhat uh, self-righteous, or pompous, or pious, not at all. Uh, but I'm hoping to encourage those of you which are born again to push on and deep, uh, have a deeper relationship, deepen your walk with the Lord, and uh, experience a greater belonging, a greater sense of uh, identity, with our blessed saviour so that's all and I will jump out of camera shot one final time and uh, as I thought the mist has crept up on me and I can't see a thing I can hear a helicopter in the distance but uh, there you are so a good hour maybe ten minute video the Word of God encouraging all of you encouraging all of you to push on kill the flesh if you can mortify the flesh if you can and of course you know you can he's given you the power to do so but whether you will or not is up to you and get busy for the Lord if you're not busy get up get out and get busy and if you are struggling with the flesh Talk to the Lord. Tell him your problems. Bring all your cares to him. He cares for you. And above all, read the word of God. Read it each and every day. And I promise you, you'll experience a greater sense of peace, joy, and a purpose for living for the Lord. That's all. And I'll speak to you all soon. God bless you all, and thanks for watching.